there are a few ty- there are a few towers at uh, Gettysburg that do give a few view f- couple full views. They did take down one because of how tall it was during a tornado. Uh, Lamb, you remember when I gave you the tour? We stopped at a few of them, right? Yeah, we did. Okay, we are now live on Twitch. I think I took you to the one on uh, day one. I think I took you to that one. I was going to say, you took me to day one and day three. We did not get to go to day two. Yeah, yeah. That one was... Give me a test. He might still be AFK. He had to step away. It sounds like he's AFK, yeah. Yeah, he had to step away to handle something IRL. Let me go ahead and turn the video part of it on. Alright, boys. Hello, everybody. Welcome to History on the Go with myself, Major Lamb. We got Captain Hank Bob here. Say hello, Hank Bob. Hello. We got Lieutenant Colonel Zinn. Say hello, Zinn. Hello, hello. And he's AFK right now, but we also have Lieutenant Colonel Assassin. I would say hello, Assassin, but you are not here. Shame on you. Uh, no. A couple of things before we go. As always, uh, help you guys have a good night tonight while we're talking on our podcast. You guys are always free to step up on the stage and say something. Just ra- go ahead and raise your hand. We'll get to you in- as soon as we can. Um, try not to talk over each other. You know, let's be respectful and mindful of the fact that we're all here to share fun and have some good history discussion. So let's try and keep it polite, respectful, and on topic. And then finally, uh, let's keep the top politics out of it. No modern day politics. And uh, let's just have a good time, boys. Got a very special one tonight. We are talking about Shiloh. It is actually, today, as of recording, it is the 4th of April, which means that Shiloh is going to be hitting its, uh, let's see, it would have been 1862, so that's 61st anniversary, uh, right? No, 161st anniversary. Oh, welcome back, Assassin, just in time. It's 161. Yeah, 161st anniversary in two days. We are officially live. Hello, Assassin. All right. I just went over the rules. I announced that we are uh, going to be talking about Shiloh today, which, as I was saying to them, Assassin, uh, Shiloh's 161st anniversary hits in two days. Beautiful. So, uh, that well. <laughs> yes, because not are beautiful. Yeah, we are, we are currently in the 1863 rotation for 160. Unfortunate, more like yeah. Very unfortunate. But we will get to that. Fun um, for us, not for those who participated. Correct. So to start off our discussion tonight, uh, we actually uh, watched a video. Uh, I did not show it on stream because of copyright or, uh, copyright reasoning. Uh, it was a very nice video hosted by uh, American Battlefield Trust. It will be linked in the description of the podcast once it goes live. Uh, it is a um, Battlefield tour of Shiloh, about 18 minutes, well worth the watch. And uh, it covers all the major parts of the battle, uh, but starting with the lead-up to the battle, the first day, the second day, and all the little stuff in between that. Uh, so let's let's start there, I think. Hank, what did you, you... You gave us the video. Would you like to start us off tonight? Uh, sure. Um, I guess let's start with order of battle, pretty much, with Shiloh. So, for the Union side, it was under Halleck, was the overall commander, but the field commander for the battle would be Ulysses S. Grant, Foote, and Buell. And then you had Sherman's division... I had the order of battle pulled up somewhere quickly. Uh, You had... That was the Army of the Tennessee. 
First division was McLennard. Second division was W.H. Wallace. Third was Lou Wallace, which was not in the initial fight of Shiloh, which show up on the second day of Shiloh after, said before, a seven-hour march. You had Herbert. You had Sherman's division. You had Princess's division, which was in the middle with William H. Wallace. And that was where the Hornet's Nest would be fought the most. Then you had two naval gunboats. They didn't really hit much on that during the talk there. But this was one of the first times you really had gunboats supporting an infantry attack besides on a fortification. We see it a little bit earlier to Shiloh in uh, the taking of Fort Henry and Fort Donaldson. This is the first time it was really used in a land battle for two armies. Then you had the Army of Ohio led by Buell. It had four divisions under McCook, Nelson, Crittenden, and Wood. They would all arrive on the second day as well. Now for the Confederates, you had two leaders pretty much. You had Beauregard and Johnson. They were pretty conflicted at the top, but Johnson had the seniority. So anything Beauregard created the initial plan as stated, but he wanted to pull back because he thought the element of surprise was taken away during the rain. Here's where Johnson goes. Screw that. Attacks anyway. Attacks anyways. and still gets the surprise attack off. Under that, you don't really have divisions because at this point, both armies are so young that things really aren't formed the way we see later on. So they had corps, which were about the size as more of divisions. You had the first corps under Polk, second corps under Bragg, third corps under Hardy. Reserve corps was under John C. Beckenridge, which, if people didn't realize, he was the 14th vice president of the United States. Yeah, that's something wild to think about. You just have the vice president of the USA out there, like, leading a Confederate line. <laughs> You notice you know, this? I really do be like that sometimes, though, you know? <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, go ahead. A lot of Confederate and Union officers were political figureheads at the time. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, uh, even as far as, like, say, Gettysburg, you had one of Davis's, what, uh, nephews, I think, who was leading a Confederate division? Yeah. Uh, what's it called? Jeff Davis was the Secretary of War, I believe, right yes. before being inaugurated to uh, Confederate president. Yes, and he was also oh. some sort of secretary for the state of Carolina. So you gotta realize, like, all these people still, like, you know, the minute they broke off, they were still well known by a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see a lot of uh, names in here that you're gonna remember for way on into the future of this war. Grant, oh, no. Sherman. Uh, there's actually um, one that they didn't hit on very much uh, that we co- saw pop up at the very beginning. Uh, how, how many people noticed McDowell? Yeah. Irvin McDowell, the guy that was uh, in at- command during the Battle of Bull Run, was at the Battle of Shiloh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and what a uh, bloody battle it was as well. Yeah. As for Confederates, one of the biggest names that you see rise through the ranks throughout the years would be Patrick Claiborne. Starts yeah. off as a brigadier general. Moves his way up to a... Uh, I believe he ended up leading a corps at his final battle of 
Nash Franklin. Correct. He was battle. He was a corps commander at the Battle of Franklin. And he was known at for both for every battle. He was pretty much just as good as Stonewall Jackson, but of the West. He gained his nickname, I believe, at the Battle of Resaca Pass when he stopped Sherman's army from completely destroying the Army of Tennessee. Yes, uh, actually, we'll we'll probably cover that at some point in the future, so we won't talk too much about that. But Claiborne was a yeah. really like complete, like strong, like just solid Confederate commander. You don't hear too much about him because, yeah, he was in the West a lot more than the East. East campaigns, what a lot of people are more familiar with, just because that's where you have your big names. You have Grant, you have Lee, you have um, what's his name, uh, Stewart, Polk. Polk, uh, yeah. Lamb, I just want to correct you. It wasn't Irving McDowell in there. It was Alexander McDowell McCook. Really? Irving McDowell's last battle recorded because he was the leader at Bull Run, got relieved, and then he was at second Bull Run. Right. Okay, you're right. My mistake. Don't don't mind the message, by the way, Lamb. I'm using you as a cross between my phone to the computer. Oh, you're good. It's easier that way because uh, the one downside of stage is if you try to open the text chat on stage, it just closes yeah, your text. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it goes straight to your phone. It's so. like, whoops. That's what caused our uh, mic issues earlier in the first episode. But one of the biggest things that you want to take note of with the Union Order of Battle is Lou Wallace. Oh, yeah. After this battle, Lou Wallace has had a horrible reputation. Grant hated him because of the miscommunication with getting his unit stuck for seven hours without... Because if you look at the map where Lou Wallace started, if he arrived in those two hours, he would have completely flanked the Confederate army after the Confederates just used their uh, shit, reserves. There you go. I got a couple of day-by-day -day images. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So I'm definitely using those. There you go. Beautiful. I'm definitely using that for the podcast chapter headings. Yeah. So, yeah. fun fact about Lou Wallace. In very typical Union uh, early war officer fashion, man turned a seven-hour march into... Or, I'm sorry, a two-hour march into a seven-hour march. It, it's a little hard to tell just by looking at the picture that we have in our chat right now, but uh, effectively, instead of going just down and to the left following the, the creek, creek there that he's next to, which I think is Oak Creek... Uh, can wreck me Owl Creek. Owl Creek, thank you. It's a little hard to make Owl Creek. Yeah, instead of just following Owl Creek downwards into the Confederate flank against Bragg, which, you know, as Hank Bob was saying, could have very easily turned their flank, um, instead he somehow ended up marching, like, up and through another river and then down and across to Pittsburgh Landing. <laughs> so he effectively... I actually have a couple of the maps um, oh, I'm putting in right now. Um, they're out, they're straight out of this book here, so shout out to, uh, Maps of the Civil War. That is a the beautiful State thing. <laughs> and, uh, to be fair to the Union, um, the reason that they have such a hard time orienteering is because you, you figure these are Union officers for the most part. These are people like northern states like New Jersey, New York, uh, maybe as far west as Minnesota, uh, Missouri, stuff like that. They aren't really familiar with Tennessee, <laughs> but I yeah, would also yeah. caveat that and say it's really impressive to turn a two-hour march into a seven-hour march by going backwards. Well, that's a thing that Southerners have done for a very long time. Like, <laughs> going back to the Revolutionary War, you have people like Swamp Fox 
Mm-hmm. Use the terrain as an advantage against the British. Yeah, and I I think that's something to hit on that's really good is terrain. Terrain, terrain was a good. Not so much an indicator, that's the wrong word for it, but a very good, um... Oh, what would you say? A very good, uh... Hello, brain. My brain's blanking on me here. Yeah. Like, a, a very important thing to note about early Civil War battles. Like, you see Battle of uh, Shiloh. Uh, Confederate at the terrain was very much against the Union's favor. The only really good hard point that they had in this battle, besides Pittsburgh Landing, of course, was a uh, advantage. Thank you, Barracuda. My brain was tripping out there. The only really good hard point area that they had, uh, aside from one that we'll talk about in a minute, was Shiloh Church. That was the only really big building in the area. I mean, you had a couple of farmsteads, but. I think a couple of those maps that I posted, maybe from a different. Uh part of the uh, different part of the campaign so i'll have to ignore those but i'll look at it i know i know the like the first one i put in is uh is shiloh Hmm. but yeah um you were gonna say something i was gonna say another name to look out for and this for a confederate order of battle now besides claiborne is william hardy ah yes mr hardy the reason his name sounds familiar is he when he was in the united states army He's the one that created the book that most soldiers knew for the school of soldiers was Hardy's Tactics. And the Union Army used it up quite often. And so to have him being able to lead a division was massive there too. Like, for... Yeah, he was a division leader at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, no, or was he a corps? Um, I don't he know. Was a corps. He was a corps commander because... He was Clyburn's corps commander. Um, let me just look at the maps quickly. Mm-hmm. The thing is, him and all everyone pretty much didn't see a major battle. This is the first really major battle we see in the Mississippi campaign. Right. We see a couple like other larger battles, such as the forts that were taken, but Wilson's Creek at the beginning of the war. But you don't really see anything of this scale. So a lot of these troops, like I said, originally both sides were very untrained, but they have Hardy and Bragg, who are very meticulous in how they want their units to move and stuff, managed to keep order in their units for as much as possible during this battle. Yeah, and then so, you yeah. you pair that with Albert Sidney Johnston, who is one of the best officers at the time. Like, it's just a very lethal combination, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know... it. If you keep everything formed up and stuff, it's a little easier to find where you need to put people. You know, mm-hmm. if you know where if you know where everybody is, it's a little easier to give those orders and make people move the way you need them to. So, but you know, you're one moment. And then this assassin died. Big sense. Yeah, I'll be back in just a moment. You're good. Uh, I guess I'll pick up the slack there then. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, like, being able to get people online information, like, it, it's what, at this time, won battles. Like, just being able to get your boys on the line where they need to be, when you need them to be there. Like, we look at this battle plan that, um, Bragg, right? It was Bragg? No, it was a Beauregard that made up the battle plan, for the most part. We get Look at this battle plan that Beauregard's got, and it's very audacious for its time. Uh, the video hit on it a little bit, but to, to clarify, effectively he brought four different corps, which 
in the early war where you did you have all these corps just kind of doing their own thing and not like functioning within this bigger singular army structure that we have and there's like are used to today like today you have your your army group which is under your army and each group can act pretty independently of each other but they all get their orders from the central army figure you didn't really have that back then you had okay this guy's leading this corps they're gonna support this guy leading this corps because they feel like it or because they're in the area or whatever there's not really somebody driving overall strategy I think would be a good way to put it so, the fact that he not only was Beauregard and Johnston able to get this plan this planned out, but find four different Confederate corps, his own, uh, Johnston's, Bragg's, and who was the fourth one? It was uh, Breckenridge, under the Reserve Corps, uh, able to get them online and together and functioning enough to pull this off and take the Union pretty much, like, completely by the surprise is not only insane, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's just one of the best little... Uh, acts of generaling this early into the conflict. It's like, you know, people like to talk down on Beauregard just because of some of his later war stuff, but he, he wasn't an unintelligent man. A lot of these officers that have these bad reputations were not unintelligent. It's just, you know... I like how... At at this point. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. I like how at the end of that video it said Johnson left a hole that was never really filled in the Mississippi for the Confederate Army. Mm-hmm. It's true. Anyone that really took after him, I mean, the Mississippi Army was pretty much a goner from the get-go. They never really had the leadership from top to bottom. Or equipment. Like Lee's Army did. Mm-hmm. But, like, everyone who took over kept taking over the shit show. So, after Johnson's defeat there, it went to Beauregard, which went to Bragg... And Hood took it, uh, yeah, and then Joe Johnson took it. And each one just made it worse and worse because of the battles. Yeah, it never got better. It never did. Like, they thought maybe having Hood go over there from Eastern, because the two way of fighting from both were very different. Thinking maybe Hood's, like, aggressive strategy from the East might work a little bit more in the West, but it really didn't. It really did not. No, it did Plus, absolutely it, nothing. <laughs> Plus him being doped up on how much fucking pain meds. Because uh, he had lost his at leg at this time. point, right? He lost both his leg and his arm. Because mm-hmm. he lost his arm at Gettysburg, and his first battle in the West was Chickamauga. When, oh, yeah. When the whole Longstreet's Corps got sent over. Which was a genius move by Robert E. Lee, because that, Mississi- that saved the Army of Tennessee for the Confederacy, because if they didn't send Longstreet there to protect it, they would have lost easily. It would have been just a goner. It would have just been destroyed. So, in July, he lost his arm. In September, he loses his leg. For the rest of the war, he's on so many opioids that he eventually leads the most massacred battle of all times for any general death is Matt, is uh, Franklin. Yeah. Six but... Confederate commanders killed in that battle. Yeah, which he was trying to pull what, um... Oh, what's his name? Um, Stonewall Jackson had pulled at, um, not Chickamauga, uh, Chancellorsville, where he pulled that far left flank on the Union line. He was trying to do that again, and it worked so badly. <laughs> that, yeah, like, like Hank said, literally six different Corps commanders died, or six different Confederate commanders of, like, Corps, I think, died in that battle. Claiborne, 
States rights just I'm back. Looking John up. Adams. Uh those are the three three I know. Three but yes, now that Assassin's back, let, let's go ahead and get yeah, yeah. kicking back on it. So, Shiloh. As we as we kind of saw in this video, they started out with three days of skirmishing. This was actually news to me. I, I didn't realize that that's how skirmishing was fought back, in, you're good, fought back in the day. So that, that's actually very interesting to note that skirmishing, skirmishing battles weren't really so much a thing of, oh, you've got, like, your two skirmisher lines fighting each other for a couple of hours. No, they were literally fought, rolling battles over several days of fighting. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of like... You know, when you're when you're looking at our game, uh, mm -hmm. that you know, it's uh, they're all called skirmishes, but they're all part of the same battle. Yeah. You know, if you, it, it's there, it's just different parts of the same the same fight, I guess. You know. Mm -hmm. I, I think one of my favorite parts of that video is still the fact that even up to like seven o'clock in the morning, as this has turned from being a three-day skirmish into this is the main fight now. It's August sixth, and the Confederates are coming. Oh Lord, they coming! Yeah, and I, I'd like to point out that even though the Confederates were kind of, you know, outgunned a little bit, the casualties <laughs> for the for the battle, you know, the the Confederates lost a little bit less than the Union. Yeah, yeah. The like the yeah. Union may have won the battle, but the Confederates definitely came away the better on the casualty side. Although, yeah, I would also argue that that's not necessarily true. Like, uh, yeah, Club, I see what you said there. Something I noticed as well. They call it a picket, and they fought over three days for it. I mean, yeah, it's wild to think of that for me. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, like. While the Confederates did come ahead, quote-unquote, in the manpower, we also have to remember that the, un the Union has a lot more men to throw at the level fight, yeah. even this early on into the war. Yeah, the, the, you're, you're, bound to, you're bound to get more casualties if you have more men. That's just, you know, mm -hmm. you, have, you have more targets to hit, you know? Right. So, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking over here at, uh, at my lovely little books here. That I have for uh, for Shiloh, I have it pulled up on on the Shiloh chapter, and there yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I actually have I actually have two books open right now with that that are on the Shiloh chapter. But um, it, you know, it has the order of battle and how many men are from you know which which groups. So you know, the Army of Mississippi Johnston is forty four thousand. Grant Grant with the Army of Tennessee, named after the river, not the state. Uh, yeah, it, it specifies that clearly. Um, got to got to very carefully note that hey, no, it's not after the state of Tennessee. The reason they do that yeah. though is because there was also at this time a Confederate Army of the Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, they they like to take each other's names, but I guess when you only have so many op options, you know, <laughs> you make like, army, like the Army of the Potomac. Like the army of the Potomac switching sides, you know. <laughs> What's up? But, uh, I was just gonna say, especially since a lot of these people were from the same areas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But army of the Tennessee with uh, forty-eight thousand, and the army of Ohio bringing in a whopping seventeen thousand. So, you know, yeah. you have your you have your divisions and stuff. They're all divisions at this point, and. Uh, and Mississippi has cores, but you know, 
basically the same sort of thing, just... Mm-hmm. But, you know, fought, fought not far off the Tennessee River itself, you know, it's just, you're, you're, you're... You're fighting your way. You're you're doing your best. And well, I was gonna say the the fact that actually the gunboats that were involved in this battle were sitting on the Tennessee River up at Shiloh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's got a depiction in in one of these here. It's uh, um, the Essex <laughs> get in, yeah, takes a hit in its boiler, mm-hmm. and you know it's just kind of funny. Uh, it, it is just showing a, a star fort, you know, and it's just you know. Uh, there's some gunboats firing at at Fort Henry, and they're firing back. It's a it's a different it's a different battle completely, but it's a cool depiction. I'll I'll uh, take a picture of it and put it in uh, here in a moment. But you know, it, it just shows you know not not much has to happen other than you know let's let's have a nice war and you're getting you're already getting advancements in technology pretty quick. Yeah, it's crazy. I love it. Yeah, and Shiloh is just one of those. You know, it's it's an earlier it's an earlier you know battle Better. in the war, mm-hmm. but you're already starting to see, you know, hey, this this is this isn't a, a show anymore. No, I mean, this is this is real. This got real very quickly. Yeah, I mean, the, the video goes... It, I actually really appreciate that from the video. It makes this really good point of showing here's the American Revolutionary War, here's the War of 1812, and here's the Mexican-American War. And it's like 2,400... Or no, 24,460 casualties or something like that, all together. And then it goes to Shiloh. And Shiloh is also 24,000 casualties. Yeah, it's actually it, a little bit more. Versus, one battle versus... Entire wars. Entire wars. But, you know, population sizes are also different. Yeah, you know, the U.S. You're, has you're, had, like, you're 50 pulling, years. You're pulling a bigger population now. Yeah, the so. U.S. Is, yeah, the U.S. at this point has had 50 years to grow, except immigrants, uh, import, you know, yeah. people from other countries. Orphan Brigade, uh, Irish Volunteers, you know, you're... Mm-hmm. You've got... Import them Irish. You've got entire, you've got entire groups... Yeah, import them Irish. Yeah, you've Germans. got entire groups that are are completely just, you know, they're they're not really born here, but they're gonna fight and try and get their citizenship or whatever the cause may be for them to be fighting right now. You know. Yeah, something else that's cool to note. Uh, thank you for sending us pictures, Asim. Um, these aren't like ironclads, even though they kind of look like ironclads. These boats. This is 1862. The ironclad hasn't been really made popular yet these are more like i'm not sure what the correct term for it would be timberclad doesn't sound right they're they're like um they're 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 up armored they've given them armor in the form of like reinforced wood and such but they're not like i mean they're 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 just gunboats you know they're they're, that's probably the best term for it is just gunboat yeah they're just a gunboat they're they're a military they're made of they're made of metal but they're not quite there yet Mm -hmm. you know they're but you know you you're you also have some ships that still look very very um, old and ancient and but they they just kind of re-outfitted them you know just gave them I newer mean, guns yeah I'd, I'd say i'd say these are they're getting there for sure yeah they're Thank they're, you, they're they're there they're there but yeah 
Yeah, is that is that a one from the? That, oh, actually, that's, that I would probably be I a Timberclad. I believe that picture is actually in this book. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, it's from, I get, uh, it's from a, a lexagraph. I think it is called. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm pretty sure I saw this picture not long. Just like, yeah, that okay. is a cool picture. It's the Tyler and Lexington shell Confederate positions on April six while transports, which is the background. Uh, land reinforcements of General Don Carlos Buell. Oh, that's there you the, go. That's that's I, I literally saw that earlier in this book. <laughs> that that's so funny. That that's, that's I love it. I got the context. You got ah, the picture lithograph. Of. That's lithograph. The okay. Yeah. They're a, lith- they're a lithograph. That's actually yeah, something. I've got, that's so I've got some pretty good pictures in here, and mm-hmm. of course they're all going to come out kind of weird. I apologize for that, but. Um, they're all they're all pretty cool. I, I'm gonna take this picture um, where they're firing on the high ground uh, on the northern edge of Drill Creek, mm-hmm. or Dill Creek, not Drill Creek. But let me just get this picture real quick. While he's doing that, um... crap! What was I gonna say? I was gonna say something, but I've forgotten. Oh no, I remember now. Something that's also really crazy to note about this war is uh, you know, talking about technology a little bit, this was one of the first, like, actively photographed wars. And if it wasn't the first photographed war, if I remember right. I mean, you've got... Oh, I didn't, at, this I didn't point, at this point, you've got the dogger type, and you've got these cameras that you can actually carry around with you. You don't have to set up this whole giant studio just to take a picture. I mean, it's still not, like, super portable. You still have to, like, take a... basically a carriage wagon size kind of kind of dealio with you but you can take pictures on the battlefield and then go like prepare them in that carriage and you have photographs same day of the battle this is something that's not been done up until this point i'm actually going to post a picture from uh from shiloh mm-hmm. uh depicting bluff near pittsburgh landing crewman a battery b2d Actually, this may not be Shiloh, but um, I'm it's very... just they're unloading some pretty big guns. Mm-hmm. Kuda brings oh, up no, a good it is. point. It is a few days after the Battle of Shiloh. There it is. Nice. Uh, Kuda brings up a very good point. Um, the USS Essex seen in that picture was originally a timberclad, like I was thinking. Uh, it was actually up-armored to having iron armor, so we are getting close to having these ironclad boats now. Yeah. Very, very close. Also... Uh, unfortunately, Hank had to go out on a fire call, so he will not be here. <laughs> Big sad. Alright. That's okay, though. Got Hank, for those of you who do not know, uh, Hank Bob is a volunteer fireman, or not fireman, he is a um, EMS, so he is very, very busy a lot. So, uh, thoughts and prayers go with him while he goes out on that. Uh, moving on, though, back to where we were at. He uh, he gave us a little history fact to give at the end, so we're gonna. I see that. Yeah, I like that. Um, But yeah, moving back to Shiloh. Um, So it's day one of the battle, right? Battle for him, yeah. So it's day one of the battle. You've got these skirmishers starting to push over at Sherman's flank here, or Sherman's uh, core here on the left, over at Shiloh Church. Or at least that's what Sherman thinks. He thinks that they're skirmishers up until the point. And the video is really funny about this, where he gets shot, <laughs> like shot right in the hand. <laughs> <Is that laughs> like, 
<laughs> Sherman be like, hmm, I, I don't think that's the enemy in front of me. And then he gets shot in the hand and just makes a Pikachu face. <laughs> surprise Pikachu. <laughs> yeah, surprise yeah, I can, Pikachu. I can imagine that, yeah. He's looking through the hole in his hand with the surprise yeah. Pikachu. Who's, who's, the one, who's the one who got shot? Uh, Sherman got shot, and Sherman. actually the aide right next to him, his, uh, his orderly, the guy who runs messages for him, actually died right then and there. Uh, also got shot by Confederate sharpshooters. So, uh, so that that woke up. I will commit with it. I've got, a, I've got a picture of uh, of him in this book, so I'm gonna go ahead and post that. Yeah. Excellent. So that that woke that up pretty quick. To oh no, this is a full live on attack, and man, it only got worse for the Union from there. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it it, it really did. I mean, the fighting in around Shiloh is just wild at this point in the battle. Um, you have effectively three Confederate Corps, because the Reserve Corps under Breckenridge hadn't quite made it yet. Uh, this is due to a combination of rain, uh, just crappy ground, getting, you know, a little bit out of communication. Thank you for that picture, Assassin. That's beautiful. Yeah, Sherman got shot three <laughs> times at Shiloh. Or rather, he got shot twice and had three horses shot out from under him, as Barracuda saying. <laughs> I wonder at one point you just say, nah, I'm just not gonna get back on the horse. <laughs> That was probably after the third. <laughs> probably the third horse just figured maybe this isn't a good idea anymore. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's how it's going to go for <laughs> war rights, too. But. Yeah, you get horses, immediately get shot off your horse like three times. Yep, you go, yep. mm, nah, maybe not. Uh, but yeah, so it's um, Sherman and McDowell holding this flank here at Shiloh Church. And over at Spain and Larkin Bell Field, you have D.H. Uh, Wallace. And who was the other one? It was... Um, it wasn't Lou Wallace. Lou Wallace was still marching because he's a ding-dong. McLernand. Sorry, McLernand. I couldn't think of his name for a second there. Uh, so you have them holding Spain Field, Larkin Bell Field, and then uh, up comes Bragg with the... Not Bragg, Breckenridge with the whole Reserve Corps, which was a pretty chunky corps, if I remember right. Assassin, you have the numbers on hand, I think? Maybe? And an Assassin. I will. I was going to say, I, I think Assassin had it in his book, but I think he just went and died for a second. <laughs> Three brigades, yeah, which is, for the time, pretty hefty. That's a pretty, pretty big army there, the Reserve Corps. It was, I want to say, like 17,000 men on its own. And you have the Army of the Mississippi, which was pretty sizable at that point under Johnston. So you had... Originally, the Confederates outnumbering the Union. The Union had roughly 17,000 under the Army of the Ohio at that point. And uh, they also were not expecting to be attacked in the morning. Yeah, it was, uh, you're, you're asking for the number of Ohio? Yeah, and then it as was, well as uh, Bragg's Reserve Corps. It was, 17, was 17,900 in the Army of Ohio. Excellent. And then do you have the Reserve Corps numbers as well? Uh, let me look. I've, I've got I've got Army of Tennessee, Army of Mississippi, and Army of Ohio on this one. Let me see if I if it has it might reserves. have. I was gonna say Reserve Corps might be under Army of Mississippi at this point. It might be. Uh, yeah. That that let's see. Army of Mississippi is the corps. Mm -hmm. Um. So, Army of Mississippi is 44,700. I-Corps, Polk, 
or first core Polk, <laughs> second core Bragg, yeah. and third core Hardy. Okay, so actually Breckenridge's reserve core was under a different probably under Tennessee then. Oh, hold on. Reserve core reserve core uh Breckenridge is also in the Mississippi numbers. Okay, excellent. And how much does he have under him? Uh, it just gives me the total okay. of 44,000 of, uh, 4,700 yeah. for all four of those, uh, together. It doesn't give me any, okay. um, things, but I can, I can certainly find it. I'm sure. I mean, we can extrapolate a little bit here. If there was about two cores worth of regular infantry, or no, three cores worth of regular troops, a core at this point would probably be six to 8,000, I want to say, a couple of divisions. So... If we figure 8,000 per regular core, that's 24,000, leaving two divisions. Okay, okay, hold on. Mercury's got here. I-Corps had two divisions, second core had two divisions, and third core had three brigades. Reserve Corps, yeah, three brigades. So... And you also had cavalry regiments and batteries. Yeah, I was going to say, Reserve Corps had three brigades, unassigned cavalry, and the assorted artillery train. Alright, so... It's looking like it was about 6,000 in the reserve. Well, that's not bad, actually. That's less than I thought it was going to be. Six, uh, that's still really chunky compared General to a 17,000 man army. Okay. Uh, General uh, PGT Beauregard sent Brackenridge's 6,000 man corps to the Confederate right. Yes, over towards where it would be considered Spain Field and Larkin Bell Field. Yeah. So it looks like it looks like a it was just a, a group of six thousand. Right, but you also have to figure when faced with the the Army of the Ohio, which was about seventeen thousand. Yeah, that's, that's still a that's pretty a third number. of their army, just with one core. Yeah, yeah, that's it's it's a it's a good number, and you know it's nothing to nothing to nothing to shake your head at. Shake your head at, yeah, you're you're still. Yeah, it's it's why it's um bit. it's why it's very little surprise that uh, the Union very quickly decided no, we're not going to fight right here and started refusing their line back towards Pittsburgh Landing. Well, one interesting note here is uh, mm -hmm. that one third of the cavalry at the battle did not even have any weapons at the start. That or, is actually sorry, a very interesting. One third of the cavalry had weapons. Oh, even better. <laughs> So, so what you're saying is two thirds of Confederate cavalry at the time had nothing to kill somebody with. They had their horse. That's all you need. Confederate <laughs> cavalry still outperformed the Union counterpart, allowing Johnston to get put information on positions. Yeah, I remember we talked about that a little bit when we were doing cavalry on our first night. Um, at this point, Union cavalry was just very much an afterthought for the Union military. It, it really wasn't this used in the same way the Confederates did, where they had charging cavalry. They had cavalry attacking the main line of battle. It, it, for the Union, it was really just kind of scouting. Scouting purposes and occasionally, like, delaying actions. Yeah. And these cores, like, you're thinking, like, modern military cores or stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. These cores at the time were typically probably about 20,000 men. But these four cores that went into this fight were like severely under that twenty thousand man limit, right? And part of that's also just because of how early into the war this was. I mean, this is eighteen sixty two. We had just gotten done with the Battle of Bull Run, and also you're also looking at population isn't that big still compared right. to compared to modern days. 
You know, you, mm-hmm. you can you can fit more people in a core modern day because you have the people to fit into that core. But you know, if you're looking at you know the Civil War, you try and fill a modern day core. You're you know shoving half so the army. Of, you're shoving like half the army into a single core, and it's just not going to work. Well, yeah, what was... I meant by like they're under that number of the twenty thousand is they came to battle with forty four. Yeah. And then they broke that 44 into four different cores. That doesn't add up to 20,000. No, sir. <laughs> no, sir. Plus the cha- plus the unassigned cavalry and the artillery train on top of that. Yeah, the yeah. 117. Which, uh, something very important to note is the Confederates brought a lot of artillery to Shiloh. I mean, at one point it's noted they had 60 guns firing at the Union left, well, Union right, CSA left. That's a lot of cannon for this early into the war. I mean, obviously, later yeah. into the war, you see such things as uh, the fort, defense of Fort Rockets and Fort Stevens. You have hundreds of cannons there. But for like, 1862... Man, we, can't, we, can't give our, we can't give our cavalry any weapons, but God, do we have cannons. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you figure most of these are probably like old six-pounder gun, field guns, yeah. some Napoleons, maybe a few parrot rifles... Probably more like three-inch ordnance rifles because the parrot rifle was more yeah. a northern manufacturer weapon. Yeah, they're they're firing they're firing antiques and you know. <laughs> but the antique will still kill you just as good. Yeah, yeah. You're you're still. There were flintlocks. Yeah, I mean, there's Confederates out there with matchlocks first thing uh, for first part of the battle. And then shout out, shout out to the Confederates who would later on start raiding Union. <laughs> yeah. uh, Union forts, or or you know anywhere they keep be keeping supplies and stealing their uniforms and stuff. Stuff. Yeah. Quick aside, uh, Barracuda brings us up. There were a hundred and seventeen artillery pieces on the Confederate side alone. Yeah. Yeah. That is insane. For reference, that's about like the size of the Confederate artillery train at Gettysburg. <laughs> Which was regarded as one of the largest firings of artillery up until, I want to say, World War One. <laughs> so, it's a lot of artillery. <laughs> of course, all this artillery is spread out across four corps, so you don't think that, yeah, you, know, you don't have them all firing all at once, but there's still a lot of a lot of firepower yeah. going it's a, it's a pretty It's a pretty wide battle as well. Yeah. You know, you're, you're not... You're not all consolidated, like trying to hit one group of people, which I'd honestly love to see happen. I, I think that would be insane. Very scary on the uh, <laughs> on the other end of that barrage. Well, you, you figure but, you actually see that in the Civil War at the Battle of Gettysburg with the Confederate yeah. artillery, at least for a little bit until Union artillery starts counter battery. Yeah, yeah. But you have to figure, for the first few shots, when the Confederate artillery just opens up on the center of the Union line, that had to be horrifying for the guys sitting there. 17 guns just ripping lead? Yeah. Whew, I wouldn't want to be on the side of that. But yeah, so... Uh, Honestly, I'm more afraid of of Civil War era artillery than modern artillery because at least you don't see the modern artillery coming, you know? Yeah, modern artillery will just pancake you and call it a day. Confederate artillery, you can probably see it still wheeled up over oh, there. You'll you'll see you'll see the gunfire and then you're like, hmm, well That's a cannonball line of sight. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, hmm, that's a cannonball. Yeah. You know, so 
subsonic freaking shells going across the field you know you're you're going to see it come to you Mm -hmm. to hear it too uh, i found some information on those gunboats oh what you got for us they were timber clads but their armor was consistent of five inches of oak okay that's actually really nice excellent day I'm uh, I'm putting a um, depiction uh, from the Battle of Shiloh. That's something we should went on to uh, participate in the Battle of Fort Henry and Dolson. Yeah, Barracuda posted about Henry a little bit above. Um, that's something we should definitely consider covering at some point is naval doctrine. That would be. I believe. I I believe isn't isn't Shiloh where they started really enacting the Anaconda Plan. Yes, before this, um, before this, um, Winfield Scott hadn't really gotten a chance to start pushing on that, but with Shiloh opening up the way through Kentucky and Nashville uh, for the Union, this was this is when it starts like really starting to come into effect that they're just going to start strangling all of the supplies and men material that the Confederates have in the West. Yeah, and you're also because you're, um, you know, kind of pulling out any of the supplies that the that the confederates could be bringing up to their men now you're splitting up the armies because they can't move very far now you know you're in it you're not going to ransack your own um your own states your own home mm-hmm. the way you would an invading uh army might to where they're going through and they're just taking and taking and taking and anybody who's left at home may not survive the winter. They but, didn't. They were especially in like sixty three and sixty four when Sermon starts his march down to the sea. Yeah, but you know, it, when it's when it's your home, you're kind of inclined not to to do that. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we would we would see this kind of behavior from the Union later in Fredericksburg, where they just start looting and raiding like the whole town because the Confederates have been doing it to them. Yeah, yeah, and the 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 song "Marching Through Georgia," you know, we um, go marching through Georgia. Yeah, it, it's it's literally just a Union song about them going through Georgia and basically ransacking the place and burning, burning it to things the ground. Friggin'. <laughs> Yeah, but kind of horrifying, you know. Oh, but that's war, though. You know, <laughs> it's, you're you're trying to, by any means necessary, subdue the enemy. It, you aren't it's wrong. Going to, it's go, it's it's definitely not going to make you favorable against the enemy. But there, it, it makes it to where the enemy isn't really able to start going and. Uh, and you know, getting their supplies and stuff because home, the the towns and stuff that they went through, the enemy's home, they're they're willing to give them food and and uh, you know whatever they can when mm-hmm. they're going through. They're they're the heroes in their mind, right? Uh, but you know, you don't want that. You want you want to make sure that the enemy isn't getting that welcome home it's you know psychological you know yeah. there, a, a lot of these armies they're they're walking through their town and congratulations it's burnt down yeah you know that here here's here is here is a very visible outcome to the war you're fighting with us i'm going to burn down your home yeah. you know and, and you have to remember also 
this is a time where communication is is not great you know you're you're relying on on you know trains or whatever to deliver your letter so mm-hmm. if someone's lost they're lost you know it's it's not going to be easy to find them again right speaking of that a little bit let's talk about lou wallace (laughs) 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 oh boy lou wallace lou wallace is probably the only um, union officer that i can think of that can turn a two-hour march into a seven-hour march and then i know i said that a little bit earlier but one we got a couple of new people in here hello boys and two, uh, this is about the time where it starts becoming relevant again. So, it's like early morning of the battle. Grant has already heard the guns firing, and so he just he just sends all of uh, Buell's whole army, his entire army of like 22,000 guys, down towards, um, uh, down towards Shiloh. Now, this should have been really fast. Grant takes a, a riverboat down there, I think, and then, like, a train, and he sprains his leg while doing this, which is... I, I didn't know that, so I heard that in the video, and I laughed. <laughs> um, but he beats them there, and so he's, he's just kind of sat wondering, where's McCook's division? Where is Wallace's division? Where, where did all of the, my guys go? And it ends up being this way because instead of just going down the river to his left and forcing uh, an attack on the Confederate left, Lou Wallace decides to take a 180, marches up and across over a a plank road, down all the way to Pittsburgh Landing, which is nowhere near the front line at this point. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm looking at a map here. And it has Lou Wallace's approach, approach. He's going down the Hamburg Savannah Road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hamburg Savannah Plank. And it's like, how did you do this? I would love to ask him this question of how did this happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. So so uh, on the Hornet's Nest uh, second phase map here, mm-hmm. it uh, it has Lou Wallace about halfway down here, uh, you know, south of Owl Creek and Snakes right. Creek. You go to the next page, and it's the final Confederate attacks, and he's way up by Snake Creek. And it's like, what did you do, Wallace? Yeah, it's like... He received that order not even about four miles from where he was supposed to be at. Yeah, and then he just decides to go backwards. And so he doesn't show up until day two, like April 7th, the next morning, which he showed up last of all divisions, like, halfway through the morning to, to the point, Hank had mentioned this a little bit, Grant despised this man, Grant despised Lou Wallace, and if I remember right, one, relieved him of command, and two, removed him from his front. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah, yeah fair but, enough. <laughs> yeah, but to, you know, to his defense, he's marching down a road that's, you know, parallel with the battle, so, mm-hmm. you know, the, the fighting's coming from their right so that could have confused him thinking, hey, is this coming from behind me? Is this coming from over there? And, and that's true. But, it, you know, you don't have, uh, you know, going back to the communication, it, it ain't easy to get orders around it. You know, you're going to lose people. It's going to be hard to to figure out, hey, who, you know, where where is everybody going to be? Yeah, and this was an issue that the Union Army had for a good chunk of the early wars. Whereas these Confederate officers, even if they didn't like each other that much, you have all these personality arguments and stuff, 
they knew how to talk to each other and communicate because a lot of them were previous war veterans, so they understand how you communicate in this day and age. You communicate mm-hmm. with flags, runners, so on and so forth. So I, I would say it's probably easier for the Confederates to get people online and doing what they wanted them to do. Yeah, but you know, you also have such a wide field yes. that you're you're battling on. So by the time the order gets from right flank to left flank, like, hey, you know, we're 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 having issues over here. We may need some help. You know, it's probably already become, hey, we're shattered. Yeah, you know? it's like as opposed to when we play a video game more rights. We can just say in Discord or TeamSpeak, hey, you know, we've got an issue. We need to fix this right now. You can't do that in real life. Yeah, and, you know, you, you think you think uh, freaking, uh, uh, you know, communication between officers in a game gets heated. Imagine imagine the, the freaking feeling you get when your life is on the line and you're trying to... <laughs> trying not to die. Trying not to die, you know? Because, you know, you're if you're an officer... You're you may be up in the front field, you know, fighting, but you're also one of the brains that's trying to get the this uh, the you know men to do what you need to do. You're trying to you right. know you have so much responsibility that if you are to go down, you better have a very competent second, or, or else you're gonna your, have your, problems. Your unit's gonna go, you know, your your unit's gonna shatter because they're like. Hey, uh, the guy who knew everything and what to do just went down, and I don't know what to do. Well, even more so than that, it's a personality thing. I mean, you you think of your officer, and they're the guy in charge. Uh, let's look example a little bit further when the Union starts pulling back to the Hornet's Nest. Uh, D.H. Wallace and McLernan's divisions are stuck there in this Hornet's Nest, this you know, big thicket of brambles and trees, basically. Uh, and they get entirely surrounded by the Confederates by 17 different divisions at this point. You know, across the four corps and brigades and stuff. Which, it buys Grant enough time to run back to... Run his men who are exhausted, can't really fight anymore, they're tired, they need the rest. It gets them all the way back to Pittsburgh Landing and gets them fortifications. Because, in his infinite wisdom, I think it was um, Hooker in charge at this point? I might be wrong, it might have been uh, McClellan. Uh, somebody can probably quote me and uh, fact check me on that one. Whoever was in charge, though, had the good idea of let's fortify Pittsburgh Landing. We're making landing at this area. We want to use it for supply later. Let's fortify it. So they do. So Grant's got fortifications, even if they're just little earthworks to fall back to. And that that time that he spent, that the Confederates spent surrounding these two little divisions of boys, probably saves Grant's army. But where I was going, uh, where I was going with that is, you know, the fighting around the Hornets, uh, the Union puts up a very effective defense for several hours. I mean, hours and hours and hours of just fighting around this stupid Hornets nest that the Confederates are wasting, yeah. either looting, I've got, shooting. Um, I've got the first and second phase of mm-hmm. the Hornet nest, so I'm going to go ahead and send them to you, and then I'm going to put them in here. Yeah, absolutely. But it's like, they, they spend all this time fighting in the hornet's nest, and it only really stops, and the Union only really surrenders because D.H. Wallace gets shot and ends up dying. Uh, which, actually, he doesn't die right away. Wallace doesn't get killed immediately. He uh, survives three days after the end of the battle. He dies on April 10th. 
which was long enough for casualty ca casualty clearing to actually find him and take him back to his wife where he died in her arms. Very beautiful. Yes, uh, and yes, um, Barracuda brings up the t general in charge at the time was not actually Grant, even though he was there present at the battle. McClellan, okay, yeah, it wasn't McClellan. Uh, it was Halleck, Harry ha Henry Halleck. And, okay, McClellan had just been relieved of command, so that's why I couldn't remember. Thank you. But yeah, Hall Halleck was a very... Timid's not necessarily the right word, but very cautious officer. Wasn't really, wasn't really Grant's style of just just send it. <laughs> yeah, but you know if if you just like the, this whole this whole battle started off because of a uh, because of a surprise attack, mm -hmm. and if if you've already your if your army's already been put in a, into a situation where hey, we all just got very uh, messed up. Uh, you know, we just had a very bad they, day. <laughs> we had a very bad day today. They they came out of left field. And they they hit us hard, and we weren't expecting it. Let's let's try and uh, be a little cautious here, you know. Let's yeah. Let's I would do say the Halleck was probably uh, a good choice for what happened. Yeah, it's just yeah, you, you don't hear very much about him because, like Grant, this battle did not make him popular. Yeah, but well, just before they arrived at the battle, Grant was already out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I don't know if I don't know if you've looked Lamb, but I posted the first phase, which is the top one, and the second phase, and you can see how it, uh, how the Confederates just kind of encircle them, them, yeah. And and you can also see um, on the second phase, uh, Lou Wallace coming down that road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love how the first phase he starts over here on the left, and it's like, oh, there's Wallace. And then he moves all the way up to... There he is on the Hamburg Savannah Road. Thanks, Wallace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's... it's uh, again, it's one of those things... It's just one of those things. You're just not really sure what's going on with these guys, you know. It, but I, I do... Let's see. He at least showed up in time for the second day fighting. <laughs> He's got that running for him, at least. Yeah, he, he showed up eventually. Maybe not when they needed him, but he did show up. Did they um, get, like, um, have you ever seen evidence of his orders lose? No. Not that I know. Hank Bob would probably know better than I would about that. Yeah. I wonder if he, like, uh, ever received anything different. <laughs> I... I couldn't tell you. That's it, something to look into. It, if it isn't, if it hasn't been uh, uh, found yet, it'd be the discovery of of the century. I'm sure. At least a decade. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna share the final uh, phase or the final day or whatever. Day two, yeah. I, I mentioned that is uh, Lou Wallace. After this, uh, gets basically. He becomes the scapegoat. Yeah, he becomes excommunicadoed, unpersoned, whatever you want to call it. He just stops showing up in any Union order of battle. Well, it's not even they get I accidentally posted the same picture. Uh, freaking Grant and uh, I forget who's the main general. Halleck. Halleck. Uh, they both blamed uh, Lou for not showing up, and so he got basically thrown out of the army. 
Yeah, it is interesting to note that even though like Lou Wallace didn't show up in all that trouble, Grant's really the one that gets blamed for how bloody Shiloh is. Grant gets blamed for it, but he also puts a lot of blame on Lou. Yeah, which, you know, part of it was deserved, I think. Uh, I think part of the reason that first day was so bloody is because Lou Wallace just didn't exist, like, didn't show up in time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that's why I was asking, do you, I wonder if his orders were something different that he received. There's, uh, there's mm -hmm. that, like something lost that final, him. the final Confederate attacks I just posted, and... Yeah. Stop. Yeah, there he is, still. still he's alive. way up. He's way up there. But if you if you look if you look at the picture before, Lou Wallace somewhere in the middle there. And he was making Lou Wallace way up. <laughs> he was making good time for his march. It's just a shame that his march was in the in exact wrong direction. Yeah, and then I've got a bigger, like, truly final, uh, the federal counterattack, mm -hmm. and. He was there. He was, he, but he was on the right flank, which is where he spent most of the battle, just kind of in the back. Just kind of vibing, yeah. A, a somewhat interesting history fact. Mm -hmm. uh, Lou Wallace, then people say that he used his experience at Shiloh as the theme for his book, Ben-Hur. Lou Wallace wrote Ben-Hur. Yep. That's actually cool. That's a very good book and very good movie if y'all ever watch it. I didn't know that. Today I learned. But there's the there's that counterattack there. He wrote yeah. it during his uh, time as the New Mexico governor, I think it was. Yeah, this man got unpersoned so hard he had to become a, the governor of the territory, not state, of New Mexico. <laughs> But yeah, he wrote Ben-Hur, A Tale for Christ, in 1880. That's actually really cool. Thank you, Zim. And he never actually went to the area where Ben-Hur was supposed to be, so he just used the Library of Congress. I mean, it, it looked pretty good, so can't say I blame him for any of it. good enough that it sold for millions and millions of copies and continued on to this day. Well, that was a very successful movie at some point. Do we cover the, the fact that when the uh, Confederates were marching against the uh, Union here in this battle, they were so hungry that they stopped in the Union camps to No, to we had covered that yet. Yeah, we should, though. That's, you want to cover that? I, I just, I, I find that so amazing because <laughs> I wonder what they ate. Probably hardtack or, or some, you know, some okay. kind of preserve. See, these are Union, uh, these are Union rations, so there'd probably be some sort of salted pork in it. Yeah, probably. But it's just so funny because it's like, you know, it's a surprise attack. So, you know, their 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 food is, you know, they're they just kind of left it. Well, that so they're like, marching through the camps. I'm sure they stole whatever was there as well. You know, I was going to say they kind of ransacked everything. The Confederates definitely marched like they forced marched the whole way up to fight the Battle of Shiloh because um, they got delayed a day by rain. So they probably skipped at least one, maybe two meals, like good yeah. meals. So they were probably and, starving by the time they started fighting this battle. Good meal is is a relative term as well. A good soldier's meal for the time period, yeah. which was not a very good meal, but it was a meal. Hopefully, it's hot. You know, it's like that's uh, bold of you to assume it's going to be hot. Well, hopefully, you know, maybe maybe someone freaking you know <laughs> cooked something. 
as long as it's edible as long as it's edible i'm sure i'm sure there's plenty of foraging going on during Mm -hmm. this time just whatever you can find mushrooms whatever uh to mention with the food situation that these units beforehand were scattered cores and Johnston brought them up from everywhere from mobile or mobile all the way to New Orleans and then yeah. to Tennessee. Yeah. Russians in the Civil War would be a good good conversation topic here. Could I'm gonna take that? We had a I, I I we ought to kinda take the time before we do that topic and see if we can do a recreation of the food so we can have an experience of what it tasted like. Oh, I would love to cook some Civil right War now. food. I am not doing tasting history. I'll I'll do it. I'll, I like to, I love to cook. I'd, I'll I'd, cook I'd give it a I'd dish. give it a shot. I'd give it a shot just to just, just to kind of have an idea of what they had to to eat. You know, <laughs> I give it a shot. But tasting history, I want to give a shout out to them. He done it before, and anytime he mentions hard text, he just clues <laughs> together. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. It's it's not great. <laughs> Hard well, hardtack, you know. Bricks, but it was two of his hardtacks that he cooked, and it sounds like two bricks hitting each other. I, yeah, I was gonna say I have I have eaten hardtack once. Um, I don't remember when that was, but it was for a historical event that I had been invited out to go watch. Man, man, there's a reason there's everybody hates hardtack. <laughs> you can literally beat somebody over the head with hardtack and probably kill them. <laughs> I. I I, I I honestly wouldn't doubt that, but like you know, it's it's just you know, there's a reason why it's called hard tack, you know. Yeah. And and you're also it, it's just so the easiest you can preserve it so good, and that is the reason yeah. why it was stayed because it just preserved really well. But like you know, um, pirates and stuff, they, they eat something similar to hardtack or hardtack itself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in uh, yeah. yeah, ship's biscuits. Um, but the pirates and stuff, they, you know, so dark and stuff in the, in the, uh, the ship, you know, they, uh, they'd get like weevil infestations in their, in their, uh, in flower, their like yeah. flower or in their, not their flower, but their actual like hardtack. Or whatever, they, whatever it was. So <laughs> they'd they'd literally just eat it in the dark because it didn't make them it didn't make them sick or anything. It didn't have any like right. downsides right. to it. But uh, but you know, it's, it there was like no there was no like texture difference in it if it had the weevils or not. So they just ate it with the weevils in it. Just, uh, but they ate it in the dark, so they didn't have to see. They <laughs> to see weevils. weevils or not. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, it's, it's just one of those things, you know. You know, salted porks or whatever. You know, you just—it's all so. Oh yeah, there you go. Just lay back and think of England. Yeah. Every time he says hard talk, he uses that, and it's just ding ding. <laughs> but. That's beautiful. You know, you, you're just trying to keep preserved foods, and you know these these poor these poor Confederate soldiers were were not they didn't have you know all the all the food they they could eat you know so I I'm sure they were relatively okay because they're probably able to hunt a little better than maybe a the Union soldiers you know. Okay. 
yeah, they don't look great, but they're no. alive. So here's <laughs> yeah, something. Here's something I'll say as somebody who eats biscuits. Uh, hi, I'm a little I'm ethnically South African. Um, one of my favorite things to eat is a rusk, uh, which is basically hardtack but a biscuit. Yeah. All of you South Africans out there know it's true. Don't try to contradict me on this. Don't do it. <laughs> but, so, the easiest way to eat it, which, you know, your average infantry soldier just sitting in camp would have a- access to it, but you, if you're on the field or trying to eat it while you're moving, you wouldn't, is you take it and dunk it in your coffee. Or tea. You know, that's the only way to try and bite it without breaking a tooth, really, is you dip it in your tea or your hot or- coffee. I imagine I imagine you could maybe break it and just kind of put it in your mouth and hope that the saliva in your mouth might. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if you have any saliva. Might, yeah, if it, after after the initial like, you know, insert into the mouth, I'm sure it dries up your mouth very quickly. Yeah, remember like when the cinnamon challenge and stuff was going around? Like, <laughs> think of that. But what is com- what I've heard it hard tech trying to eat just dry hard tech is comparable to. Is the saltine challenge? Yeah, saltine challenge. I imagine. Yeah, you, you, you're. It's just, you know, like all these all these foods during this time, you know, they're either overly salted to keep them preserved, or they're really dried to keep them preserved. One of the you two, know. no one in between. And and maybe if you're lucky, you um you might get some something fresh. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's like. I'm sure any orchard that uh, that the army walked through is picked clean oh, at, about a, at, at about hand height, you know. Absolutely. I'm. I'm it's just it's you know just any, anything that you can take, something fresh, something that actually has flavor. Mm-hmm. But something you know, you see this. Off, you um... see you see this in Shiloh, where it's just like they hadn't eaten in a little bit and they're really hungry, so they're just gonna walk through these camps. And just be like, well, you left your breakfast. Nobody else is eating it, so I'm gonna eat it. You know? Yeah, and you know, this was actually like instrumental to the battle because it delays the Confederates for literally hours while their officers try to wrangle them into, no, we're still fighting a battle. You have to go up there. Yeah. You can't stop here in the camp. I know you're hungry. Yeah, it, 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 and I'm sure I'm sure that was a kind of a little bit of a wake up call for the Confederate high command, where they're like. Maybe we should feed them a little better before we send them off into a battle. Yeah. Give you guys an idea of the shelf life and just the freaking, I guess you could say, just brutishness of these hard tacks at this time. Minnesota Historical Society has a 150 year old Civil War hard tack. Oh, my lord. No. And you think. And so, so it's like actually, like you could eat it today, and it'd still be hard deck. <laughs> Probably, it's in a bag, and the sucker looks harder than a saltine. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it looks, it looks ready to eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just you know, if if there's not like no moisture or anything in it, there's no reason for it to go bad. I mean, I wouldn't eat it considering it's 150 years old, you know, but. Uh, I've seen MREs get eaten out for just about as old. <laughs> or at least seem about as old. I mean, Wobble One MRE. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, but, you know, they're they're built to last anyways, and 
you know, for the long haul. <laughs> it may not taste great. Especially <laughs> has a weird smell to it. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? It's better than it's better than uh than starving to death. You know, you. you I, Let's be fair. Most of these, most of these uh, soldiers probably were already missing teeth, anyways. So I don't think hardtack really contributed much to it, as and long for, as they, as long as they ate it correctly. And for the average listener out there that probably has never tried hardtack, it's a think about something about the thickness of a slice of bread, but the consistency of a stale saltine. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's literally it's literally a very like the way they make it. It looks like your average saltine cracker, but about four to five times the size and about four times as thick. And you could probably build a house with it. That would not surprise me. Consistency is similar to that of a steel saltine. Yeah, just immediately just it's as hard as a rock, and it sucks all the moisture. By the way, I don't know if Lamb, I don't know if you know this, but you uh, muted yourself. I'm sure he does. But... I'm back, sorry. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, it's crazy to think that, you know, you, you you have people eating stuff like this, you know, it's just, it, 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 it's mean, wild. Hey, you gotta have no rations. flavor. Yeah, no, no flavor or anything, I'm sure, but you know what it's enough to fill your stomach and didn't they eat these things in like fourths or something they wouldn't eat the whole thing in one go yeah you would never eat a whole hard pack in one go (laughs) i don't think you could even if you tried you did that you would have the worst bowel movement (laughs) you wouldn't have bowel movement because you would just be stopped up you know what it would be the worst one because it wouldn't come out for another (laughs) yeah yeah Hey Johnny, didn't you have dysentery yesterday? Well, not anymore. I ate a hard tack. Oh, my poor soul. <laughs> I ate a whole hard tack. Well, well, you ain't got dysentery no more. Yeah, you, you won't have to poop again until after the war. Yeah, it's... if they didn't have hard tack, it was probably something salted pork or something. Yeah, and I think yeah. I think you know just there. I'm I'm sure there was a few other things they might have had. Um, I, I know, I know, um, like some, I, I believe the Romans did this where they'd, uh, have like flour instead of, um, instead of like a finished product because you could make the bread at site. Mm-hmm. Flour was easier to, uh, to kind of keep. Yeah. But yeah, you know, uh, so just going Away from from that little side tangent, yeah. the hard tack. Just the hard tack. Yeah, we you get know. back to uh, the end of the battle. Yeah, it is now day two. Grant is upsetting spaghetti. I think would be a good term. And uh, he's got forty thousand or so infantrymen, just uh, ready to go mollywop whatever's left the Confederate army. And what's really good about Grant's position at this point is Grant does not have a tired army. Grant's got... Well, I mean, half of his army's tired. But he's also got half of that... Wallace's army isn't, though. (laughs) Wallace's army's just been walking around and having a great time. 
But the, the point here is that he's got a whole fresh army that he's brought up, whereas Confederates are just fighting with whatever they've got remaining, which means they're also fighting with whatever ammunition they've got remaining. And honestly, I don't think I don't think the the break for food really would have changed the outcome very much. No, I think at yeah, that point uh, it, it, it gave it gave the the union some time to kind of like dig in, mm -hmm. but it wasn't like a ton of time. You know, no. it's only it's only a matter of a couple of hours, which is plenty enough to to do some work. But no, know, I'd in, say in the uh, long run, in the long run, I don't think it really would have done much. Mm -mm. Other than maybe the the union would have had to fall back a little bit further, right? I will say like between it and the hornet's nest, the hornet's nest absolutely like that was the saving grace of Grant's army there. Yeah, like I'll maybe, I'll play. You that know, game. maybe 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 breakfast the breakfast raid if uh, that's what I'm gonna call it <laughs> the breakfast, breakfast raid. raid. You know, maybe maybe it did have a little bit of something to do with it. You know, maybe maybe they had some time to be like, hey. This would be a great position to to kind of stop and uh, fortify, and now we now we have somewhere to to consolidate our forces, and you know somewhere somewhere kind of close to every uh, everywhere that they can just pull in those extra forces because yeah uh, Nelson it, it looks like uh, comes across Nelson. the river. Yeah, Nelson's uh, Nelson and McCook's corps. Um, McCook's brigades actually show up a little bit early. Amnon. Amnon um, is uh, is uh, is also Nelson. That's the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, McCook's brigade of Nelson's uh, corps of Buell's army, if I remember right. I, I might be getting that backwards. Um, uh, maybe. Uh, I don't know, um, but you know, uh, Tyler and Lexington come up the river as well, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it's just you you gave the for for a battle that only lasted two days. There were a you know, lot of moving parts in this battle. It, it was it was constantly moving, and the just the amount of death over two days. Versus, like we brought up earlier, the course of entire wars. It's crazy. Where entire wars lasting, you know, more than two days <laughs> got beat out by a single battle. Well, I mean, the entire <laughs> the, Revolutionary War got beat out by a single battle, and that was against what was considered at that time the best fighting force in the world, the British Army. Yeah, it's just something where. You know, you have uh, maybe it's the home field advantage. Maybe it's something to fight for. That's so mm -hmm. personal that you're going to, you know, get those uh, that just higher amount of death. Maybe uh, you know the the cause the cause can be so various because you know maybe maybe they're more inclined to stay at that battle for longer and fight it out so hard yeah. because home is just on the other side of that river. Yeah. You know. And you know, we see later in the war when when Sherman and those ghosts start marching through Georgia, their fears aren't necessarily unfounded. Yeah, it's you know, or you know, Gettysburg where mm -hmm. you you know, you have this massive fight over a city. 
you know, not even a city, just a little town. Or yeah, a little town. You know, you, you know, such a big and well-known battle. You know, it's crazy to think that it's just this little part of the of history. You know, yeah, it's like days. it's like I've walked through Gettysburg, right? Um, me and Hank Bob went uh, when we went for Morgan's birthday. Other Morgan, not me, Morgan. Uh, yeah. We went for Morgan's, not, I'm sorry, not his birthday, I'm stupid, his wedding. Yeah. And uh, so we went up there and we took Ricardo with us, uh, the B-Sharps. And uh, you can walk through Gettysburg proper in like half an hour. Yeah. Like, that's pretty remarkably. I had a hustle, you could probably go do it quicker, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's assuming a good pace, but I would say, yeah, you could probably get through there pretty quick. It's a yeah. small town. Like, Gettysburg at this time is tiny. Yeah, and, and just the the sight of m- so much death, and I wouldn't really say hatred. You know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think, you know, I don't think they really hated each other. It was just the, uh, the difference in what they believed was right. Yeah. You know, it's, you're fighting, you're fighting for your values and what you believe is right. And it's just one of those things where you're, it, it's just the sight of so much bloodshed and, you know, the, maybe at this point there was some resentment, you know, mm-hmm. going through and, and tearing down cities or burning cities and, you know, it, I'm sure there was some resentment here and there, um, but I know the generals probably didn't really hate each other as much as you know maybe the average soldier having to fight against the this the other army. You know, the, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, there's some accounts of you know some of the officers on on both sides. Just kind of being like, well, the war's over. You want to be friends again? <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But you, you know, you have you have. Longstreet's a good example of that. Yeah, but you know, after after the the war, you know, just so much happened that you know you still have people today who harbor you know some kind of resentment for the other side. Yeah, I mean. It's, that's true, unfortunately, of any conflict that we look at yeah. in any modern I mean, day. I, you know, we 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 still celebrate our independence. You know, by, from Britain, yeah, yeah, from Britain, and you know, there's still people who don't tea in the harbor. Yeah, there, you know, it's it's uh, it's something that happened like hundreds of years ago, but it's like, you know, it, it, it's it, it's still you know, um, the American history is still so fresh. And it's so well recorded for the most part, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, we're, our nation's only a couple hundred years old, you know, and our history isn't, maybe isn't quite as rich as a nation, but so much has happened over that course of such a small amount of time from a revolution to a civil war to fighting in two world wars then korea vietnam in korea and vietnam and just expanding so far 
Yeah, I mean, it's... we did something in the span of 200 years that nations that have been around for thousands of years couldn't even dream of accomplishing. Yeah, but you know that it's not like it was you know alone. You know, it's built right. off of the it's built off of you know what we what we gained as a as a civilization all over the world. You know the the passing of information. You know we may have we may have been the first to do something, but the research for it isn't new. Right. Yeah. So I, I you know it's it's just crazy to think you know the the side of just so much happening, so much death, so much uh, just. It, it, it's it's one of those things that I just find it so wild to think of. Well, one of the things with America, especially, they say the mother of all invention is necessity, and um, one of the biggest necessities is war. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's where America, that's where a lot of that's where a lot of tech technology innovations come from i mean look at a1 sauce that came from the, the sun during the civil war <laughs> yeah 1862 <laughs> and the um and because of that for the past 200 years america has practically been in 200 years of war yeah you're not wrong I'm, we haven't, we haven't of... had a, too too long of any like off time yeah i mean look at let's look at guns the gatling gun came from an american richard gatling uh, the Maxim, the Maxim gun, John Maxim. Yep, Browning. John Moses Browning still using the Browning machine gun today, seventy years yeah. later. Yep, Springfield. How about the M1 oh. Garand? Smith and Wesson. Mm-hmm. How about the AR-15, the Armalite rifle? Yep, Stoner. Stoner in general, yeah, Colt, yeah. Colt 1911. Let's go. Two, my two rewards. Yeah, and America, we're we're so proud of our history. You know, there's so much amazing things that we've done. We we mm-hmm. name things after after uh, you know famous generals or you know whatever whatever the case may be. Like you know, a, a, a lot of these names are you know maybe like Brackenridge. That's a uh, they they named a whole. Uh, they, I, I believe they named a whole uh, area after him, or maybe it's just a coincidence. Well, how about Fort Hood? Fort Hood, yeah. You know, it, Fort Polk. Yeah, you know, you have <laughs> these these old Civil War names are still so relevant today, mm-hmm. and especially especially in you know our political climate not trying to get too political here you know it's it's just as relevant as it ever has been right i would say it just never stopped being relevant yeah you know the i mean we we still see we still see the effects of the civil war today yeah fort bragg that's another good one you know if you think about it uh, the wounds from the civil war they've only like been 200 years it takes nations that have had worse wars centuries to figure that stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're, we're still very divided, you know, between those old feuds, you know, it's, it's not our war. It wasn't our war, but it was our, you know, maybe our great, great grandfather 
you know, mm-hmm. depending on how old you are. It, if you're if you're an older person, it's a little more relevant to you because you know maybe great grandpa was in the war. Are you <laughs> calling out Yardbird? No. <laughs> Hi, Yardbird. Love you, buddy. But um. Yeah, Sparracuda is right. We have one thing in common. We are all American. Yes, and now let's get back on topic before we go too far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's get. <laughs> You're trying to thin line. deep dive, deep dive into <laughs> into whatever that was. <laughs> whatever that was. That was beautiful though. <laughs> ten out of ten. Um, we're actually getting close to our time anyway, so yeah, we can wrap it up. Yeah. So, so you want to give the fact of the of the session? Oh uh, yeah, I can do that, and then we can go ahead and wrap things up. I have a little uh little. Little chillax chat here. Uh, let me pull it up here. Hank Bob. Uh, so the reason we're starting this, by the way, is it is actually Confederate History Month this month. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the U.S. has this fun thing where every month is something different. So we'll have Black History Month at some point. I started calling it a wrong Discord. Yeah, you're you're like robot don't, now. Don't worry about that. I accidentally opened my phone. <laughs> I accidentally started to call in our scheduling chat Discord. Whoopee. Whoops. Yeah. Ignore I that. Can, I can read it off if you. By the way, if you're having issues trying. No, to No, you're it good. Up. I was just, I was just trying to say that you know the U.S. does every this is a little like Black History Month, Women's History Month. Uh, this month is Confederate History Month. Uh, so just to um, appreciate that because we all appreciate history here. I don't care what kind of history it is, good, bad, sad, angry, angry, ugly. ugly yeah, we cover it all. Um, so, a little factoid for today is on the morning of Sunday, April 2nd, so, you know, two days ago, uh, on 1865, uh, Confederate lines near Petersburg broke after a nine-month siege, which, that's a long siege for modern day. It's a long siege for a post-industrialized war. Uh, the retreat of the army left the Confederate capital of Richmond. And he just cuts off here, but the, don't worry, I know what he's talking about. It left the left the capital of Richmond just completely wide open to attack, and at this point, it was pretty much close to when Richmond was taken by the Union forces. Uh, yeah. Fun fact, that they're not in the war, although it came pretty quick after Richmond fell. And that would be its 158th anniversary of that happening. Yes. Yeah, that's our little Confederate fact of the day. Uh, we'll have one for next week too. Actually, we'll have one for all the weeks of April. Or all the weeks of April. I can word really good. I promise. And then, I, and then we're going to try and continue it, depending on, uh, on I guess. Well, no, you can always continue. Whatever. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll always continue, continue it. We'll just no, try and depending on just yeah, we'll, we'll just continue it. I like that. Uh, I like that suggestion that Hank gave us, and uh, I want to keep doing that. You know, and they, you know whether it's Black History Month, uh, Women's History Month, Confederate History Month. Uh, I think there's a World War II History Month. I could be wrong. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll look up a list tonight and I'll put it into our Discord. Real quick though, Yardbird did confirm his. He said his great grandfather did serve in the Second Texas Cavalry. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Yardbird. <laughs> uh, we love Yardbird. He's a good boy. Angus hasn't had to make a call-out post in the middle of the I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> even aiming it at Yardbird, honestly. It's okay. We all love Yardbird. Uh, Yardbird is grandfather. Yeah. Granddaddy Yardbird. Yes, sir. Still waves a flag around with us old boy- young boys. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think that'll that'll go ahead and end it for tonight. Uh, it was a fun, fun discussion on Shiloh and like a million other topics. That was beautiful, boys. Yes.
Yes, sir. A little, little bit less um, planned and more off the cuff, but you know, it, I liked it. It was fun. So uh, I mean, I think I think a, a few of the things. Oh yeah. man, that'll be next artillery week. part two next week. Let's yes, go. artillery two, electric boogaloo, boys. Yeah. Yeah, we, we we had so much we had so much to talk about last week that we just felt that it wouldn't be right to, to stop where we were. Yeah. So we're we're just maybe a little more organized this time because I know we jumped around so much, but we were trying to keep it within a time frame. Mm-hmm. But now that we kind of have a little bit more time to talk about what we want to talk about, it might be a little bit more cohesive. A little bit. Also, uh, just to address what Chicken asked, uh, Chicken, every week I Twitch stream it to my own Twitch. I'll post that a little later if you don't have a link to that. Uh, And then, so, scheduling for those of you who follow by podcast, uh, just so that we can make sure that we have a little bit of catch-up time given to us, just because I know we were off for two weeks because craziness happened, and this will be the third week now that I haven't posted anything to the podcast site. Uh, because I'm going to start posting one week afterwards. So today will be one week after. Uh, tonight I'm going to work on the third episode and get that posted up. And then one week from today will be the fourth one. So basically, just to make it a little simpler, is I'm going to post each episode an hour or a week late. So that we have a little bit of just overhang there in case we have to take a week off. Yeah. Just to simplify that, for some people, the... Uh this podcast right now lamb is sitting on top of artillery part one and as soon as this is over he'll (laughs) be able to post artillery part one and then when we're doing artillery part two the shiloh podcast that we're doing right now will be posted yes and i'll do my very best to have those up the same night i'll probably be close to midnight but that's okay I I live for this kind of stuff. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get better as we go, and uh, you know this is only we're only four, four episodes, episodes in, now, yeah. so it's it's only going up from here. Listen, the first episode was very special. We had some great <laughs> great audio issues in that one. Yeah, we we're might want to figuring it out. At some point and redo episode one. <laughs> we could always, we could always just redo it. I can write it, a whole transcript and just re re uh, record it. I don't mean just like re record it. I mean just but like recover go, it. Go back off the cuff and just do it again. Just maybe for like a, a a little bit different. Maybe for like a one year anniversary or something. That'd be cool. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, have you <laughs> it was pretty great in the first episode because I didn't have my mic on mute. So it's just like, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a heavy breather. I'm sorry, boys. But uh, <laughs> I think that's what makes this podcast so different from some of the others is we do not have scripted segments. Yeah, like we don't yeah. we don't do scripting. We'll say okay, we want to hit this, so we might cover in our Discord. Okay, I'd we like to hit topic, these points. We have a topic, but that's about it. Yeah, we and we give ourselves sometimes... talking points and just fireside chat. Yeah, some sometimes we go off on tangents like you saw earlier, and sometimes <laughs> hard we tack. don't. So, hard yeah, tack. hard hard tack and and some something a little more philosophical, I guess. <laughs> yeah, trying. We we try. We're gonna try not to get things too political, but at some point, I know we're going to have to go there. Well, yeah, like so at, just... I was gonna say, at some point, we we were gonna do that one cultural episode, and that that one's going to inherently be political. So we're going oh, yeah. to have to just. Yeah, we're just going to have to straight up say at the beginning of that, like, look, it's going to be political. 
We're not out here to offend anybody. We're not out here to say any side is better than any side. This is just recovering yeah. it as it was. Yeah, and it's old politics anyway, so hopefully yeah. so hopefully I, things if that are like, still harboring onto anymore. If you're still harboring onto 150 year old policies, I don't I don't know what to tell I you. I can't help you, buddy. <laughs> Go find some of those weird groups out there that nobody likes. <laughs> But yeah, I believe I believe this is about when we uh, go ahead and close off for this evening. Yeah. Uh, good talking with you boys as always. Sir, would you like to close us out tonight, Assassin? Sure thing. Um, as always, thank you to our troops. Uh, we couldn't be doing this podcast without past and present troops. This is something that we get to do because uh, we have the history and uh, uh, of our military and we have you know our modern our modern soldiers keeping us uh, keeping us safe at home so we can actually do this and be free to do this um, but with that being said this is history on the go. Shiloh Anniversary Edition. Thank you very much.